This is the second episode of the Richards Report series on behavioural economics. I hope that you enjoyed the first episode, and if you're joining us for the first time now, you're welcome to stay, but it'll probably be best to start at episode one of the series so you can understand the process of how we make decisions and why we're hardwired with the biases that we all have. We're going to continue discussions on some of the topics covered in a behavioural economics course I completed earlier this year. This episode, we're speaking again with John Bashiris. Before joining HBS, he was also Assistant Professor of Finance at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. His recent work includes studying the participation in retirement savings plans, household investment decisions, and healthcare choices. With no further ado, let's get straight back into my chat with John. So, John, here's another question. Why do we overweight small probabilities happening? Does this have to do with um, evolution too? So, you know, potentially... I think the most honest answer is we're not completely sure why humans overweight small probabilities, but I'll give you a a little bit of a flavor of of the way a lot of behavioral economists think about this problem. Um, So indeed, as you you mentioned, uh, when a a possibility, uh, a potential outcome that has a small probability of being realized, has a small probability of occurring, whether it's a positive thing or a negative thing, Tends to uh, tend to loom larger in our minds than than one might expect. Um, so, easy example on the positive side: uh, winning the lottery. Um, you see that jackpot in uh, the range of say a hundred million dollars, and you see someone winning it. <laughs> um, you know, not necessarily every uh, every time there's a drawing, but you know, every every two or three drawings or something like that. And on some level, everyone realizes that it's extremely 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 unlikely <laughs> that the six numbers you picked are going to happen to be the six numbers that pop out of that machine. Yet a lot of people find it quite, uh, uh, quite alluring to, to plunk down your $2 or, or however much money it is to, uh, to have an entry and, and, the, and the chance to dream, I guess, is, is, is the way they speak about it. And hello, hello to my dad that might be listening in. Good luck, dad. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, no, so, so I, I think that example helps you get some intuition for why we might put such a high weight on small probability events. Um, it's because the fact that it's possible somehow makes it um, something that our mind has trouble getting um, uh, getting to getting rid of right sort of in, in, in some rational sense we should place zero weight on the fact that it's possible to win the lottery just because the probability of winning is so close to zero it's so vanishingly small but um, but because it's there and it helps of course in this example that it's salient um, you know it's it's something you see, people walking around with that gigantic check that, um, that they can't possibly fit into the ATM machine. And, you know, they, you, you sort of have that stick in your mind. It's really hard to not pay attention to that when the decision in front of you is whether or not to, uh, to play the lottery. And similarly, you know, on, on, on the downside, um, you know, if there's, a, if there's a very small probability of, um, say, some some horrible accident from engaging in, in a particular activity like getting eight <laughs> yeah yeah that's a great one um as soon as that possibility has been put in front of you it's kind of hard again this is a very salient type of event it's hard to get it out of your mind so you you pay attention to it even if the probability is vanishingly small and i guess as an additional piece of information to sort of corroborate this this version of events about why we place so much weight on on low probability possibilities uh, it turns out that the opposite if anything is true 
when we're not told about these low probability events, but we're left to simply experience them. And maybe that's not surprising, but um, you know, sort of if you are not told about the possibility of shark attacks and you just need to learn from experience that it's a possibility, because it's a small probability event, essentially no one is ever going to experience it and therefore people don't, it doesn't even come to mind. People, people don't spend any time thinking about it. So there is this interesting kind of asymmetry when it's described for us and when we're told about a possible event, even if it's a very small probability that it's going to occur, it's hard to get it out of our minds. If we're not told about it and therefore, you know, we, we, it sort of never enters our contemplation, then we're going to essentially uh, assign, assign zero weight to it. Um, so, you know, there's, that, that gives us a little bit of a sense for, uh, for why we might be, be holding on to hope uh, that uh, we win the lottery or being uh, very afraid to go in the ocean because of uh, great white shark attacks or something like that. Okay, at the time I'm releasing this podcast, it's close to the middle of summer. What have we learned here yet just in this discussion? That's don't overweight small probabilities happening. So don't worry about the sharks when you're down at the beach. It's probably just a shadow of some seaweed, so settle down. It's nothing but your system one overweighting the small probabilities of happening. Also, there'll be some big jackpot lotteries at this time of year too. So settle down, people. Steer clear of the pokies. Stop doing the ridiculous multis too. Nothing but overweighting small probabilities happening. Okay, enough about that. On to the next question. Could that be also related to projection bias mm, where yep. people overestimate, um, I guess, the satisfaction or the enjoyment that they'll have of something going forward into Absolutely. the future? Yeah. So you sign up for a, uh, a you know, call it a, uh, a, a new financial institution. You, you move your banking relationship to, um, to, to a different institution and you think, well, gosh, you know, this is, this is so great. You know, they have all of these these wonderful, um, wonderful features at, at the bank. And I really appreciate the, the things that they're offering here. We have a tendency to project our current feelings about a product or a service or relationship into the future thinking, yeah, well, the way I feel now is a pretty good prediction of the way I'm going to feel in the future. You can see why that's a reasonable mental shortcut that we would follow. You know, if we like something and chances are we're going to at least kind of like it in the future. Um, but we we overdo that, and so um, we're going to overestimate the extent to which uh, our current feelings about an object, a good, a service, are going to carry over into into the future. So we project our current feelings into the future, which is reasonable to a certain extent. But will you really love it as much as you do right now, forever? Sure, jet skis are fun, but do you really need to buy one? I hate to sound like the boring police here, but I think it's why people buy into timeshare apartments when they're on a holiday somewhere for the first time ever. I went to Hawaii a few years ago and I couldn't get over the amount of timeshare apartments for sale. Sure, you're loving your holiday, but will you still love it just as much as when you're there for the fifth, sixth or seventh time in a row? Instead of taking this inside view and trying to predict your level of enjoyment at X amount of years in the future, Take the outside view. And what I mean by that is look at others and how much people still love their timeshare apartments that have owned it for many years in a row. Okay, before we move on to the next question, I would like to mention that this episode is brought to you by Six Park, Australia's leading online investment advisor. 
If part of your New Year's resolution for 2019 is to sort out your finances or to set up an investment portfolio, then go to sixpark.com.au. Click Try Six Park Now and you can see the investment portfolio Six Park would set up for you, which is completely free to do so. Six Park set you up with your own globally diversified portfolio and manage it for you too. Go to sixpark.com.au to find out more. Where we've even got a promotion out right now and there's more information available about that on our website. Okay, on to the next question. Moving along, on to confirmation bias. Can you give us mm. a bit of um, insight as to what that is? Yeah, so confirmation bias describes our, our very um, deeply ingrained tendency to seek out information and pay attention to information and process information that is consistent with beliefs that we already hold as opposed to contradictory to those beliefs. Um, so in, in a way, what confirmation bias suggests is if, if we're faced with a decision, one thing that is, is what we do on, on a pretty regular basis is actually kind of reach a knee-jerk reaction uh, answer where system one has sped ahead and, and provided us with, uh, you know, what we should do. You know, let's uh, maybe make it a, a little bit more concrete. You know, should I invest in my retirement savings plan now or should I, you know, maybe wait to do it um, in, in a month's time? Our, uh, our system one will say, well, like, you know, it'll be there when we get to it. So why don't we go and, uh, and watch TV right now? Um, and then what confirmation bias is going to do is it's going to kick in. And to the extent that we're still thinking about that decision, it's going to help us search for reasons that back up that, that decision. So we'll think to ourselves, yeah, actually, it's been a really, uh, a really trying day. I had a hard day at work, and so I really need the time to relax. I'm sure I'll be able to, uh, I'm sure I'll be able to uh, sign up for the 401k plan in, in the future. Um, and, and so confirmation bias is this really pernicious tendency where it's really hard to break out of your um, your current set of beliefs because um, because you're never at least if you just leave yourself to your your natural devices you're never going to find and encounter and incorporate into your own decision making information that might not be consistent with what you've uh, what you've already kind of decided. Yeah. So um, here's another um, example from the AFL world. Mm. Um, many left foot kickers um, in football, people have the belief that they're a better better kick than um, people that kick on their right foot. And I think um, that's confirmation bias in that you mm-hmm. favor information when you see it. So whenever you see a good left foot kick, that'll stand out to you, you know, kind of confirming that belief. <laughs> but whenever you see a poor left foot kick, maybe you might discount it a bit and say that it wasn't their fault. Yes, I yes. Know, uh, you don't know too much about my ability with football, but I was one of the great AFL kicks of the modern era. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> John could, couldn't be a, uh, more of the opposite. So, um, And uh, I remember we, we spoke just before about overweighting small probabilities of happening. Well, um, just got me thinking that uh, there's a very small probability that my, my kicks ended up actually hitting a target. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure my old football coach, John Longmire, suffered from confirmation bias that I was a rubbish shot at goal. <laughs> anyway, enough about that. So what are you guilty of with confirmation bias? Is it an opinion on the direction of the market for 2019? Is it an opinion of a politician or even a political party? 
Are you guilty of believing your football team is going to improve next season because your football club keeps talking about the amount of players running PBs this season, even though they do every season and your club is still no chance? Well, I'm not sure. A good fund manager will actually seek out opinions that they disagree with just to challenge themselves and to try to protect themselves against this confirmation bias. So have a chat with people that you disagree with uh, and apologies in advance if it turns into a heated argument. Okay, that's it for episode two. It's probably a bit of a shorter episode this time compared to the first episode, but um, that leaves plenty of time to go ahead and uh, give me a rating on iTunes. As always, this episode doesn't qualify as investment advice and is for educational purposes only. And while we're at it, nor does this podcast qualify as swimming advice too, especially if you get bitten by a shark. That topic was just for educational purposes only. And if you do get bitten by a shark, you're incredibly unlucky. And my thoughts are with you. Episode three of this quadrilogy is all ready to go. So pop over to wherever you get your podcasts from and download the episode and subscribe to receive all the other episodes too. Even better, send an episode to a friend and tell them how much you enjoy listening to this. Try and ram as much confirmation bias down onto them as you can. I really appreciate it. Before you go, I would also be grateful if you took a moment and gave me a rating on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. It all helps me continue to get the great guests on the show that I do. Okay, I'm Ted Richards, and see you on the next episode of the Richards Report Behavioral Economics Series.